1: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man?
0: Not too much, Andrew. Have you ever heard that whole thought about if you're in a high-pressure environment or, you know, kind of lots of things are happening around you that you will default to like the true essence of yourself, right? Like the pressure will pull your true character out. Yeah. you've heard that idea i feel like i don't want to speak for you but i feel like our heads were spinning (laughs) a little bit earlier this week with the news and all that stuff all these people saying oh is the podcast going to keep going and all that and i feel like our response in that moment was the most stereotypical self-parody of an open floor episode ever (laughs) seriously if you go back and listen to that episode what did we talk about we crushed Kawhi for 15 minutes we did your lego shopping list We had an email from my brother about the great outdoors and 20 minutes of Yosemite (laughs) musings. I mean, we pretty much hit every single thing on our checklist. Like, if you're going to make a podcast making fun of us, you would just make the podcast that we did. Well...
1: Yeah, the only thing we were missing was um, 10 to 15 minutes of wizard's talk that <laughs> 95% of our listeners don't care about, and we also, we should have gotten 5 or 10 minutes in worshiping Giannis uh, for the thousandth time on the podcast, but other than that, I feel like we covered all our bases. No
0: no doubt, and we actually cut out like 10 minutes of mic worship, so like the extended play <laughs> version of uh, Tuesday's episode really covered every base that we've been known for. But yeah. I think we're through it. I think we got through it. Thank you to everyone who emailed in or or Instagrammed in or Twittered in. We appreciate all those messages. And I think we're ready to move forward, hopefully with some new material.
1: Yeah, you know, and it's the end of the week here. So we can kind of keep it light. You, you, you made your rounds on congrats, Twitter. And now we're getting back to real life. Um, but we're in kind of a weird zone with NBA news. And so like, you and I were talking before the show. We couldn't come up with any kind of big segment to open with. So we're just going to bounce around with various mailbag questions, which is basically what we do every episode anyways. But yeah, um, a
0: real radical idea that we came up with. <laughs> Lean on our yeah. listeners for all of the material, just like every episode. Yep,
1: It's really true. The Open Floor Globe does the work every week. Uh, but let's start with one bit of real news that we did have uh, that came through, I believe, Wednesday night. As first reported by Woj, the Cleveland Cavaliers have traded Kyle Corver to the Utah Jazz. What's your take? Did you have any reactions to this deal?
0: Well, I think it, it feels a little panicky from Utah, but my first takeaway was just sort of how Woj reported it in three tweets. And like, so the full details of the trade did become available really until his third tweet. And usually when that happens, like the instant reaction on Twitter, like, you know, goes hard one way, then it comes back the other way once you see what's actually in it. And yeah. I, I guess my takeaway was I feel sorry for Alec Burks because he was the last guy to get mentioned in this deal. And I don't feel like his inclusion swung anybody's mind at all. It was just like, oh, Alec Burks, that's right. He's still in the NBA. Well, cool. <laughs> <Sure>. Whatever. <laughs> Bring over those second round picks. Let's roll with it. You know, And so I guess I kind of felt bad for him a little bit, but I mean, to me, the story here is Utah. Uh, yeah. They clearly need a player like Kyle Corver. They clearly need shooting. We talked about how they have to modernize their lineups to kind of get, uh, you know, more four out basketball going on and more space for Mitchell to operate and, and everything else. Corver will kind of fulfill that role, I think, for sure. And they've got plenty of defense to cover up for wherever he's at at this point of his career on that end. Uh, so I like it fine. But this early in the season, multiple picks and an expiring contract for a guy at Corver's age, it raised my eyebrows. That doesn't feel like a typical Utah Jazz move, does it?
1: Yeah, you know, it does kind of feel panicky to me. Um, And Utah, like, should be panicking. There's no question. (laughs) If you watch the Jazz games, it's pretty clear that there are problems and um, there aren't many solutions on the roster they have now. And so I understand why they would look to make a move. Corver, though, to me, I think the idea of Corver is great, and if you're imagining 32 year old Kyle Corver who was great with the Hawks and and could play 35 minutes a game and and hit threes and like free up the space for everybody else on the floor, like that's great, and I think Corver can do that in short spurts for Utah. Um, to me, the real issue is that. I think Alec Burks was a pretty valuable trade asset because he's expiring and they could have used his deal to get someone better than Corver. And and, you know, maybe that's Tim Hardaway Jr. who's a guy who's been mentioned as a trade target in a lot of different situations, but like someone who can actually kind of shore up the wing in a more meaningful way than Corver will. And um as someone who cares about the jazz, I'm a little bit bummed out because I think the Corver thing is going to sound great for the first week or so and then people are going to look up In January and say like, all right, so Kyle Korver's playing 15 or 20 minutes a game. Like, what do we really have here?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's one of those moves where it's like, oh, the fan base loves him back from when he used to play for them. Remember when he had that really cool kickball tournament, like all the other things that he was doing? Uh, Yeah. And then you really get down to it, and it's like, no, you really need Kyle Korver the player, not the person, not the like local icon. You need the player, and. I mean, this might be a little bit of an unfair standard, but you remember him during the finals, right? And like, look, this is uh, totally. this is Western Conference elitism coming through, right? But like, he was fine in the playoffs when he was playing teams like Boston and Toronto and Indiana, you know? I mean, teams that would barely make the playoffs in the West. You come out to the West in the finals, and this guy made one three-pointer out of like, I think, 16 attempts, something like crazy like that. He was getting exploited mercilessly. It was spooky, but yeah, it was tough. Well, I mean... <laughs> well, it wasn't, that, yeah, fluky. Maybe, was it wasn't a, that fluky He was going against a He was going against a really really good defense, uh, you know, playing at a super high level. He couldn't do what he wanted to do. They they knew how to handle him and then on the other end he was getting exploited. There's just no question about it. So, he wound up not even playing that much, uh, you know, in the finals. They cut his role drastically. Uh, I guess my point here is caution, Utah. You know, he he will help because you're at such an ugly place in terms of your team's three-point shooting that any little boost will help you, but don't get too excited.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm with it. Um, and that that was my issue with it from Utah's side, is I think they need more help than what they're going to get from Corver. On the Cavs side of the deal, though, and you know, I'm, I'm not sure anybody really cares about the Cavs at this point, but I do think it was a win for them. And it was a nice move from Kobe Altman, who was taking all kinds of heat for allegedly breaking a handshake agreement they had to trade Corver if LeBron left and, and all of that. I mean, to get back Burks, who they can turn around and trade again. And, and again, I think that Burks has real value to teams that are going to be trying to clear cap space. I, I think he's on a expiring deal that pays like $12 million this year. And so I, there's a chance the Cavs can turn him into an asset that brings back even more picks. Um, but, uh, but I think to be able to do that and, and move Corver and, and get like something meaningful back is a win for Cleveland.
0: There's no doubt. And it, it also just sort of, you know, belies their whole thing about we're gonna make the playoffs the start of the year. Like they kept up that charade for what? Like a month and a half and like kudos to them for <laughs> pretending. But it's a very textbook, timely, you know, rebuilding type move and, and kudos there. One thing I was thinking about If the Lakers had made a similar deal where, like, they include some expiring contract of a kind of a rotation-level player bench guy and two second-round picks, don't you think people would have crushed the Lakers for doing that? Oh, LeBron just wants his guys. Why are you overpaying and sacrificing assets and all that? That's a
1: great point. But we kind of, like, we're so conditioned to believe in the Jazz front office and Quinn Snyder and, and like, the little engine that could in Utah that we're kind of— They're immune to criticism at this point.
0: Yeah, they get a little bit benefit of the doubt. So I I do wonder there uh, if that speaks to the panic as well. Because if the Lakers had made the exact same trade, everybody would have said, oh, LeBron's worried about missing the playoffs. Like, did it, you know? (laughs) Totally. Yeah, so we'll see. Yeah,
1: that's a great point. The the only other thought I had here, one note on the Jazz, uh, because I watched them play the Nets on Wednesday night. Rudy Gobert, man, he's still really good, and watching him, I mean, it, like, he still alters a ton of shots at the rim. He still dunks over people. He's he's really good. But I can't help but feel bad for him, watching him running up and down the court, trying to keep up with a team like the Nets. Like, he looks like this big, lumbering stick figure, and uh, it's just hard. You watch him, and you're like, man, you're a good player but you do not fit with the way basketball is played today. And like, he's just out there trying to kind of survive.
0: Yeah. get this man a time machine for 10 years ago. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, that, that's what he great. wants for Christmas. And no, oh, it's really, really tough. I mean, the number of centers who are able to kind of get by at this point, like traditional centers, uh, is, is really short. It's actually one thought experiment I had, uh, yesterday, Someone was yeah. asking me, like, could the Blazers trio of Brandon Roy, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Greg Oden have been, like, a title team had they all stayed healthy, right? And I was thinking, like, that core sounds like a title team, right? But yeah. Odin is not a stretch five, right? Odin was going to be lumbering even if he was healthy. I mean, he was a very athletic guy, especially in college, but, like, he was heavy. Um, you know, he wasn't the the most quick guy up and down the court and Roy yeah. really liked to play super slow. And there was like a little window there where Portland had the most efficient offense in the NBA built entirely around Brandon Roy, but that style would not have worked like five years later. So to me, like their title window was like right up until that, like 2012, 2013 heat team. And then as soon as the warriors came along in 2015, don't you think Odin, Aldridge Roy would have just had crazy matchup issues with those teams so yeah like Blazers fans love to do the whole like oh could we be a title team and I know Jazz fans were doing that during last year's playoffs too right they're thinking we've got the best defensive center in the NBA we've got the next Dwayne Wade with the ball in his hands and we've got some you know complimentary players this should be a title team but when you're watching how the league has evolved since 2015 it changes all of those hypotheticals
1: Yeah, it's really tough. And, and like you said, with Odin's athleticism, I mean, Rudy Gobert is athletic and, and among bigs and among seven footers, he can move better than almost anybody. But you know, when he's trying to keep up with Rondé Hollis Jefferson, like the calculus changes and it's just, it's a tough deal, but, um, you know, brighter days ahead in Utah, it can't get much worse than the first month has been. And, uh, let's move on we talked about the rookies a little bit earlier in the week but we got a number of good questions and i want to start with our guy uh mr mark says <laughs> come on man how is luka Doncic not your number one pick as someone who appreciates great skill in steph curry surely you recognize how great luka can be he's only 19 and he's already doing this and this was on twitter he linked me to uh a couple of Doncic highlights and Doncic
0: has got a lot of highlights, man. He's putting together a (laughs) nice package for a rookie.
1: Yeah, well he really is. And Mark was not the only person who was aghast at my redraft. So just for the record, I want to make this clear. Luca is not my number one pick because I think Jaron Jackson Jr. is gonna be elite elite, like a perennial all NBA guy and one of the most valuable players in the league. So it's not necessarily a slight to Luka. Having said that, I'm still a little bit baffled by the way people talk about him. I mean, there's been so much worship of Doncic over the past week that I had to sit down and watch the entire Mavs-Rockets game to just see whether I was missing something. And, you know, he was good. He had a great first quarter, and then he sort of disappeared and stopped getting the ball, which is maybe more of a Mavericks problem than a Luka problem but he definitely had his moments where you say okay like this guy is clearly special but then when i hear people talk about him like he's a future mvp like that's where they lose me i just don't totally see it so i'm curious like what do you see with doncic so far
0: well i just remember when you said you might take eight and over doncic in the redraft i'm pretty sure i threw up in my mouth and caught it <laughs> and i think the microphone actually picked up that audio so apologies to the listeners there yeah um no i think it- Rob Mahoney has an excellent piece in this week's Sports Illustrated, so shameless plug alert. Go read it. It's on the internet. Rob's got some abs- absolute gems of lines in that it story. It great. Uh, the one thing I'd say as sort of the takeaway is, like he called him like Europe's worst-kept secret, and that's exactly it. Like I don't think when you're watching Luca, you're thinking, oh, my God, I didn't know that he could do this. I think a lot of it is just we knew he could do it, because he's been doing it for years, he's making the yep. smooth transition to the NBA. He's doing a lot of the things that he was already good at, and it's an instant impact type of thing. I mean, Dallas's record is where it is because Luca's hit the ground running, and we can rarely say that for rookies, even super talented rookies, uh, sort of being lead guys. It's pretty rare. We don't see it too often. Um, I think I love the skill that Mark mentioned, uh, you know, in his tweet to you. Uh, yeah, his his craftiness with the ball. You know, he's not necessarily always getting to the rim, but he gets to his spots. He gets to high efficiency shots. His confidence is through the roof in terms of his shot. His range is deep. Uh, He's very smooth off the dribble, stepping into shots. Uh, He's just a very refined, skilled player. And I still think, you know, in Rob's piece, they mentioned that he's lost significant weight uh, you know, yeah. since the summer and they were kind of making fun of Luca's mom for like feeding him so much, basically. <laughs> uh, I, I see some of that progress in terms of his body. And I do really believe it's going to continue. And I think a lot of your skepticism, I think, comes down to the idea that like, look, he can never be an MVP if he's not going to be a truly freakish athlete. Because when we're talking about like Westbrook, Giannis, LeBron, you know, recent MVP is well, like, they're, they're on a whole different level. I'm not sure he's yeah. ever going to get there. But the Seven Eleven stuff, you're going to regret, Andrew. Like, you're going to wish <laughs> you never said that.
1: I don't know, man. You know, the Steph comparison is actually pretty interesting because Luca and Steph do have a lot in common. You know, they're both super skilled. They're both very intelligent. And you can see the way they use their body is special and the way they're able to kind of create space around the rim and where people worried that Steph was too skinny to hold up in the NBA, others have said, you know, Luka Doncic has the body of a 7-Eleven employee. Um, But here's the thing. Like, Luka has all those intangibles that make him really special. What's going to decide how great he can be is whether he can consistently hit the three off the dribble and be able to make some of these contested threes, which against the Rockets in the first quarter last night, he looked like the best player on the floor because those shots were going in. And, uh, and if that continues and, and if that's the player he's going to be, then he can be every bit as great as people think. Um, but because of his limitations in terms of creating space and beating people one-on-one, he's going to have to make a lot of really tough shots to be great and to be the type of guy who's going to give you 25 or 30 a night And um, and I don't know if I I
0: see, I don't know if I see thirty, but like I think twenty five is well within his range. I mean, he's already shooting forty percent on threes. He's got those tough shots in his wheelhouse. Now, could there be you know months of streakiness like Damian Lillard? Like no one's going to be Steph, right, in terms of those off the dribble three point shots. But you know, Damian Lillard continued to work at it, continue to work at it, and you know now you have to respect it. And I feel like with Doncic. You already have to respect the, the the dribble three, and he's such a skilled playmaker and passer and understander of space that if you have to, you know, set your defense all the way out three feet behind the three point line to pick up on him, he can make he can make you pay for that in other ways with the pass.
1: Yeah, and I I definitely understand that, and what I would say is that I'm not worried that he's not Giannis, he's not Westbrook, he's not like a freak of nature athlete but my point on Doncic has always been that if you're not going to be a great athlete, the only way to be a superstar in the NBA is to be insanely good at, you know, off the dribble threes or some skill like that where Harden and, and Steph have such off the charts, spatial skill that they're able to kind of get their shot off against anybody and dominate that way. And so Maybe Doncic has that. It's just a steeper curve than I think a lot of people acknowledge coming into the draft. Um, and I recognize that trying to win any Doncic argument is a losing battle right now because it's just more fun to believe in like the craziest possibilities here. You know, we had Rob's feature. My friend Jason Gallagher made an amazing Holly Luca video for the Ringer. Did you see that?
0: Uh, I saw the T-shirts going around.
1: It's pretty great. It's it's pretty solid. Um, so well, everyone loves Luca. I'm not here to like root against him. I want him to be great. It'd be awesome. And and even his name, Luca Doncic, just sounds like someone who's going to be a superstar. But um, I'm reluctant after last season when you shamed me into walking back my Ben Simmons skepticism, <laughs> which has since been completely validated. I've, Get I'm going to hold out validated. on my on, on buying in on Luca.
0: Well, here's the thing. If you look at other recent point guards or lead guards, and I know he's not a strictly a point guard, right? But he has the ball in his hands a lot, and that's going to be his role in Dallas. There's no question. When you look yeah. at the other recent point guards to hit the ground running in terms of recent drafts, outside of Simmons, who had a, a really nice rookie year, who are the other guys who have had the type of instant impact, comfort, command, calm? Uh, you know, growing respect of their teammates and ability to impact wins that Luca's already had. You know, like, yeah. not De'Aaron Fox in year one, not Lonzo Ball, uh, certainly not Frank Nilekina, uh, you know, n- none of the other no, guards, hey, Jalen Brown, every, Chris yeah, Dunn, and- Buddy Healed. I mean, Jamal Murray took three years to get there. Uh, you know, you, you look at the rest of this year's class, Trey Young, who I still believe in, is having a really, really tough start to his season. And he's had yeah. some great moments, but it's been tough. Colin Sexton's turned it around a little bit, but you know you can't put Luka and Colin Sexton into the same conversation. Uh, you know, Shea has actually been really impressive for the Clippers, but I think he's surrounded by a lot of talented pieces, which definitely helps. I mean, to me, of the of the recent rookies, like I'm almost more impressed by what Luka's done so far than what Ben Simmons did through the, the same point last year.
1: Oh yeah, there's no question about that. Um, I mean. Here's the thing though, there was never any question that Luca was going to come in and be pretty solid and probably better than anyone in the rookie class. I mean, it was him and Aiden and Aiden, whatever you want to say about Aiden, he is putting up numbers and acquitting himself just fine. Um, yeah,
0: lots of empty numbers. He's doing that. There's no doubt. All
1: <laughs> right. Well, look, he's on a much worse team than the Mavericks and, and Luca does have some solid veterans around him that are allowing the Mavs to be competitive, um, but there was never any question that he was gonna be good early. And the question the Mavericks was always, don't have
0: that much talent. I mean come
1: well, on. Well, you know, DeAndre, they've got Harrison Barnes, they've got you're right, they don't have that much
0: talent. <laughs> <laughs> no, they've got some replacement level players, but I just think it's a positional issue. And like I'm not gonna hold this against DeAndre Aiden, but like if you're gonna have an impact as a young guy and you're really good and ready to go in the NBA, you're gonna do it with the ball in your hands, right? Like you have yeah. to you have to be the initiator. If you're DeAndre Aiden and you're trying to deal with Point Booker or whoever, you know, the other, uh, you know, no-name point guards they've had there. They've been cycling through them so far this season. Like, yeah, you're going to be at their mercy and your team's only going to go as far as that point guard goes. But that's why you just draft Luka. Because if you are the Suns and you drafted Luka, you'd be a lot better right now, your record would be, than you are with DeAndre Ayton.
1: Yeah, I guess so. But what, if you're the Suns, is your future better with Jaron Jackson Jr. in four years or Luka Doncic and Devin Booker and, and because also drafting Luka means you're sort of taking the ball out of Booker's hands half the time and I don't know I think uh, I'd rather Booker's have not that good I mean
0: I'd rather have well, Luka Doncic than Booker I mean talk about a guy who has not evolved at all and I got a lot of heat for roasting Booker over the summer you know going off on podcasts about him and all that like I think I'm right. You look at their team; they have more losses by 20 points than they have wins so far to start the season. (laughs) Do they really? They do. It's six to four, and it was you know almost seven recently. Like they're not competitive. There's nothing he's doing right now, even if he's getting his number. And same thing for Aiden; that's really translating to victories on a consistent basis. And so, come on, like okay,
1: here's the thing. I don't want to big up like the other Mavericks too much. I do think that Dallas has a number of smart players and they have a great coach and a yeah, great They've system. got a great coach. I agree with the, that. The Suns have never had that around Devin Booker, so I'm not going to grade him or, or dock him for losses that are generally a byproduct of some of the most dysfunctional like organizing <laughs> principles the nba has seen in the last 20 years Just so saying, it's fine. didn't we
0: expect more from booker by this point of his career after his rookie year i mean come on
1: yeah but i mean look they're Kyrie only- was struggling this way in cleveland before lebron came back yeah, it's like well- when you're with a shitty franchise that has no idea what they're doing then like they the ceiling is much lower
0: yeah especially if you don't make your teammates better good point
1: Um, (laughs) look here's the deal the question with Doncic is whether he's someone you can build your entire future around and the Mavericks said yes they basically used two top 10 picks on Doncic the Hawks would rather have an extra lottery pick and the opportunity to bet on Trey Young's upside the Kings would rather have the ball in De'Aaron Fox's hands and uh you know I think if the Kings had drafted Jared Jackson Jr. instead of Bagley that would have been like the best decision and like a potentially a franchise altering decision over the next five or six years. And unfortunately they took the wrong guy instead of Doncic, but like some of these teams that are getting killed for passing on Luca, I just don't really get it.
0: The Kings definitely should have taken Doncic. Phoenix definitely should have taken Doncic. Um, I hear what you're saying with this specific trade package for Atlanta, that's defensible. Um, and I think you know Memphis taking Jaron is is definitely defensible in terms of you know how they want to play and, and what they want to look like going forward. So, um, you know, I, I don't, I I still sense a lot of hesitancy from you. And I guess I'm just wondering, like, if you had to vote right now, who's your rookie of the year?
1: Oh, definitely Luca. I, oh, okay, he, so you're not even a
0: hater. That's the thing. Like you're no, on this defensive exactly. thing. You're trying to like qualify <laughs> everything, but you know deep well, down listen. you know. <laughs>
1: Luca's very good. Now the question is how great he's going to be. And that's all, that's the, my only question. And I knew that he was going to come into the NBA and be good. I just don't know if he could be the okay. best player on a so title team. Here's
0: so. a be, here's a better question. Will he be an all NBA player at some point of his career?
1: Um, I, I believe bet against it.
0: I believe yes. Okay. I, I believe yes. So I think that's yeah. where the line of demarcation is guys. So in three years, come back and when Luca's an all NBA player we can all tell Antju come on man you you <laughs> too
1: now stop emailing me i know that Luca is good okay and and i have to add like i loved watching him in the first quarter against the rockets kind of take over that game for a couple minutes because there's nothing i love more than a husky superstar That's and what watching him kind of lean in and find ways to get these ridiculous shots off like he, he is fun. Um, Look, here's so, the thing.
0: If Luca had gone to Rainier Beach High School in Seattle, he'd be your favorite player of all time. <laughs> that's 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 the perplexing part about this.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's more like the conversation around him leading up to the draft just rubbed me the wrong way, where it's like if you weren't all in on what this guy is going to be and him as a future superstar who owns the league, then you're xenophobic. And it's like, ah, uh, I don't know. I think there are reasonable questions. But... Anyways, um, to the other side of that Hawks-Mavs trade, Raul says, I need your help. Trey Young is tearing my family apart. Last night, my brother said DeAndre Bembry should be starting over him, and I just about lost it. (laughs) Half because I don't agree, and half because that's how far his trolling has gone at this point. I think Trey can be a starter on a contender. My brother thinks Trey is a selfish shot jacker, inefficient, and has a push shooting form that doesn't translate to the NBA. He thinks Trey should be a permanent sixth man for the rest of his career, if not benched altogether. Which one of us is right?
0: Um, Look, Andrew, I want you to go back in the lab and get on Rahul's brother's level, okay? This guy's got (laughs) the absolute heaters of the takes. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really wrong to call him selfish. I don't think, I mean, look, he is very self-confident when it comes to his uh, his shooting ability, his depth and everything else. But I think Atlanta has basically coached him up to get the ultimate green light. You look how they moved uh, Schroeder. You look how they designed their offense around him. You look what they're trying to do with the two-man game with him and Collins, which totally relies on defenses being extended You know, with yeah. those deep three-pointers. I don't view him as a selfish player. Do you? i mean i i would guess not you like trey, but i don't i don't yeah. think he's an inherently selfish guy
1: no i i can see where someone might make that claim though because he's either making highlight passes or um taking twenty eight foot threes and so eventually like if the threes aren't falling and he keeps shooting them, I can see where people are like, what is this guy doing?
0: Yeah. That's Um, the thing. He's not just taking the 28 foot threes. He's missing the 28 foot threes right now. (laughs)
1: Exactly. It's, it's tough. Um, I don't know. I mean, I went down to uh, Charlotte and, and caught up with Trey young down there and uh, wrote a magazine story on him two weeks ago that we never really got to talk about, but this one and look, The question from Raul, like that, this is the spectrum for for Trey Young. There's really not much in between, like, all star level contributor on a good team and uh, sixth man, slash, someone you can't really play on a winning team. Because, and that's part of what I love about him, he's sort of the inverse of Doncic. His ceiling is higher. But his floor is much, much lower. And and we're seeing that in Atlanta early on because number one, he's gonna struggle on defense for probably his entire career. Yeah. And can,
0: two, can I can I jump in real quick on that point? Yeah. He is very bad defensively. He's one of the worst <laughs> defensive players in the NBA. So it's not a case where like a guy like Aiden or Doncic, like they definitely need to both improve as defenders. There's no question about that. Yeah. Trey is so bad, I don't know if I'm ever going to see it with him, right? I hate writing guys off after 20 games, but like he is most likely going to spend his entire career as a minus defender. And it's size issues, it's everything else. He doesn't really care about it that much, but yeah. it's, it's a giant red flag. So even though I'm still in on Trey Young, that's an acknowledged issue for me.
1: Right. Well, and if the offense works and basically... The question there is whether the jumper can can work and whether he's able to find room to get his shot off. And, I I mean, he's shooting really poorly right now, which he's 38% from the field, 25% from three, and I think some of that is probably an aberration. But some of those struggles are a reflection of, like, his size and the trouble he has getting clean looks at the basket. So I think Raul's brother is right on that one where, like, his shooting form is not great right now, and he's going to need to get better at at creating clean looks for himself. Um, so it's really interesting, though, because when it all works for Trey Young, he looks like he is the new Steve Nash and, and one of the most valuable offensive players in the NBA, or, or that's what he could be.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think he is exactly where he needs to be. I think it was a nice fit between you know, new coach with some very modern ideas in terms of how the game should be played and a total green light for the player, an organization that, you know, basically has a bar at their stadium, like on the court, just to keep fans (laughs) interested. So like, you know, again, there's not a huge level of pressure there. All of these misses are part of the growing experience for him, but they will get old at some point, right? Like, I think he's going to have about a year and a half to play at this level, before his teammates start looking at him and they start looking at the coach and saying like, Hey, what, where's this going? Like how much can we really rely on an entire offense built around shooting threes if the main guy with the ball can't hit them? And, you know, I think there's something to what you're saying about his shooting for him. I mean, I, he, he works a lot harder to get it off. He doesn't have that super effortless stroke, uh, you know, like a Steph Curry or some of these other like elite shooters, but yeah. he's been shooting so many of those shots for sh- so long. I guess I just have faith that he's going to be able to get to a point where like you still have to guard them. You know what I mean? I I just think he's going to get there. And then his feel in terms of setting up driving, kick threes and, and setting up two man game stuff off the pick and roll is just really, really good. And so I think there's a
1: really good, there's a
0: high ceiling for their offense as a team. But, you know, I think of all the players, you know, in this lottery class, I think I'm going to be the most patient with Trey, um, Mm -hmm. over everybody.
1: Well, and I, and I think that's smart because in general it takes guards, uh, and when I say guards, I mean people who aren't Luka Doncic and coming in at like six, eight and physically ready to kind of contribute immediately. It sometimes takes guys like Trey Young and it took Steve Nash a couple of years. It takes longer to get comfortable. And, um, I think some of the flashes we've seen from Trey Young are really encouraging, whereas the struggles are not really that surprising, um. So I don't know. I'm excited though because it, Wait, it is just such a crazy spectrum.
0: Let me ask you a question about your SI story though. When he told you he was going to be a better NBA player than Luca, what was your reaction? Did you fall over? Did you start laughing? Did you do that nervous clap that you love to do? I mean, what you know- was what was? <laughs> did you take it like a pro journalist and just sort of nod with a blank face? I mean, take me to that scene when Trey Young is like, "Yeah, I'm going to be better than Luca." What do you want to talk? You know, when he, when well, he's giving you that cocky uh, one-liner.
1: I felt a little bad because I knew that people were going to kind of latch on to that quote and um and it came it came in the middle of an answer where we were talking about the trade and I said, you know, do did the reactions motivate you? Do you think you're going to be better in the long term? And like if you're Trey Young, like you have to say, yeah, of course I'm going to be better. But his answer which is in the story was i don't understand why people can't imagine it working out for both sides and and you know he heard a lot of people saying like the hawks made a huge mistake and passed on a future superstar and took this guy trey young who's gonna suck and so like that was how he kind of perceived the outside world's reactions um and he was saying it could work out for both sides but that ultimately i'm gonna be better and like if you're an athlete you kind of have to say that um and, and I do think well, that there's I loved room it. for him to be amazing
0: on offense. I loved it from him. It also had the, like the very textbook Adidas, like chip on the shoulder, you know, D-Rose saying he should be the MVP, Damian Lillard always saying he's <laughs> overlooked, like just very natural handoff to Trey Young taking that mantle. Well, that's a really good point. I mean, I can see his personal prism of draft day really being super annoying, right? Because it's like the most exciting day of your life. You come out of absolute nowhere. You've got all this hype. You wind up being a top five pick. Like, great day. And all you have to hear is, oh, yeah, but he's not Luka. I mean, he's not Luka. And that would (laughs) really be annoying.
1: Yeah. So, I I don't know. I think Trey Young is more enjoyable in the role he inhabits now in Atlanta, where he's kind of become more of an underdog um, than he was last year when people were calling him the next Steph Curry. because. That that's not very convincing, but I think he could still be really fun as their point guard down there. He's much smaller than Steph. That's another thing. A- apart from not being the greatest shooter of all time, like Trey Young is like five eleven, and Steph Curry is bigger than people realize. He's six three.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. And look, we said it at the time. Don't compare anybody to Steph. It's not fair. <laughs> it's and- like
1: comparing someone to Michael Jordan. Um, but moving on to another rookie point guard. A couple rookie questions here. Pete says. Hey guys, I'll start this email by stating that I was born and raised in Northeast Ohio where Ooh. everything is earned and nothing is given. Deepest so apologies, <laughs> Pete. Deepest apologies. <laughs> hey, listen, Pete's just a kid from Akron, you know? Um, but jokes aside, he says, When are we going to put respect on Colin Sexton's name? As a starter, his splits are 18.9 points per game on 47% from the field. from three and 86% from the line. He's been huge in big wins over Philly and Houston. Meanwhile, Trey Young is shooting like your local high school kid who thinks he's Steph Curry. Why can't Sexton be a top three player in this draft class? Do you have any thoughts, Ben?
0: I've got a couple thoughts. First of all, uh, Pete, I totally understand why you you get excited about Colin Sexton because you really need him to pan out for your team. So we get it. Andrew, you'll remember like a year or two ago, though, I went on that rant about the generic praise. How, you know, if you just email us in and ask for us to say something nice (laughs) about your favorite player, usually that upsets me because it's so easy to just do generic praise. The new trick the Open Floor Globe has tried to unfurl on us, Andrew, is to say that they want us to put respect on, you know, Player X's name or Team X's name. Right. That's just a new, hipper, cooler, slangier way of asking for generic praise, Andrew. I'm seeing right through it, and and it bothers me. And it it really bothers me because it worked on the last episode where I was going on and on about how great the Grizzlies are. So I just want the open floor globe to know. I'm on to you guys. I see how you're wiggling through to get this praise and this credit, uh, and I don't like it. Now, in terms of Sexton... Did his whole season turn around after that article, which basically said all of his teammates hate him? <laughs> like,
1: it kind of did. Him? I mean, apparently uh, there was a there was a quote from J.R. Smith where he said Trey Young is the rookie of the year, and ever since that quote, which was obviously a subtweet to poor Colin Sexton, who is like two weeks into his NBA career at that point, um, since that quote, Sexton has been bawling out, and J.R. Smith has not been with the team. I might be wrong on that, but he's definitely not playing. And uh, Sexton is doing his thing. I got to give him credit.
0: Yeah, he was an interesting player coming out. I mean, you probably studied him a little bit closer during the pre-draft process than I did. I mean, I guess we were talking ceiling a little bit earlier with guys like Luca and Trey. What do you see as his ceiling? Um, I, You know,
1: it's hard to say because he, like the best version of what Sexton is trying to be is probably Russell Westbrook, but the odds of him ever getting within even like 90% of what Russ has been are
0: pretty slim. Yeah. That's going to take like a full program of injections, like to get his athleticism to that level. I don't see that.
1: And that was why people were a little bit wary of him. I mean, I don't think anybody would have, you could have pulled every front office in the league and no one would have said, Colin Sexton will be shooting 50% from three, six weeks into his NBA career. And, uh, but if he is, and if that's real and he can shoot 40% from three and be that guy, I think that starts to change things.
0: This is going to come across like I'm a jerk and sour grapes over the whole, you know, Michigan, Ohio state game. I thought the Cavaliers got way too much credit for the back-to-back wins against Philadelphia and Houston, like, you know, Thanksgiving week, essentially. (laughs) Right. Like, come on. Like, if you look at their last, however many games you want to look at, this has been a bad team all season long. They got two. Uh, you know, fairly impressive wins. I mean, Houston is dropping games left and right. So that one wasn't that impressive. And everybody, I think it was just like, you know, kind of doing the like, we feel bad for Cleveland. So like, let's pat them on the head because this back-to-back is probably going to be like the best moment of their entire season, right? Yeah. It was a little too much for me. And so I guess I'm not going to get super duper excited about the, you know, like small sample size of Colin Sexton nailing his three-pointers, you know, for two weeks based on two wins. And, you know, maybe that makes me a jerk. See, look, maybe no, that makes me good. a little bit angry. But, like, I do think we need to just step back a little bit. And, and hey, I, again, I completely get it. Because they've got nothing going on this season. You know, their real excitement factor is trading for Alec Burks and trying to flip him for other future assets, right? Like, that's the best thing that can happen for them this year. So, great. Um, but yeah, it was just a little too much.
1: No, no, no. Look, I like this from you. This is you setting a precedent Going forward for the rest of the season, if you're emailing in to request generic praise, even unwittingly, you're going to get hit with some brutal honesty. And that's just the way it goes. And, you know, I will be honest, too. I find Cavs games too depressing this season, and, and that's why I haven't seen much of Sexton. His numbers look great, and watching him in highlights... It's pretty clear that he belongs out there. I mean, physically, like there's no doubt that he's gonna be in the NBA for the next 15 years. I just I don't trust the shooting numbers. I hope they can continue. Um, the other thing I would add is I did coming into this podcast, I watched more Sexton highlights from their game against OKC the other night. And uh, at one point, Russell Westbrook backed him down and got an easy layup down low. And the camera panned to Russ afterwards, and he was doing the baby rocking celebration. Have you? That's seen that right one? up.
0: That's right up there with the nosebleed. That's I so see, bad.
1: I do not agree. I think the baby rocking is a good celebration. That's the cool version of what James Harden is trying to do with the fake nosebleeds. We need more baby
0: rocking. Next thing you know someone's going to come along rocking a baby that gets a nosebleed and then we're going to have a <laughs> <laughs> then we're going to have a real uh, crisis on our hands.
1: Well, uh, you know what actually I just thought of this. So Russ recently had uh, a newborn baby and I I wonder whether he was actually rocking his newborn baby and thought to himself this would be an awesome celebration. I should bring this out. Well, I think time.
0: he, I think he had twins. So if he was going to do that, he would probably have to use both arms in this scenario. <laughs> yeah, just food, D. food for thought, Russ. You know, step it up, double your pleasure with the baby rocking uh, celebration. Um, what else we got?
1: Okay, so Ben says, "Hey guys, I've been listening for almost two years, and I love the podcast. I just need to hear some love for my guy Alonzo Trier. The undrafted rookie has been bawling out lately, and he's actually made the Knicks." moderately watchable and this is another generic praise request so we can move quickly past it however isozo man i do love him and i you know i'm very happy for the knicks and i included this mostly just because we need to acknowledge that alonzo trier is awesome um mitchell robinson also looks pretty great so that is sort of like really all the Knicks have this year is like potential is getting too excited about um, second round picks and, and trying to talk themselves into Kevin Knox's future. But was it, it's wasn't this guy? Not a pretty
0: highly, Let me ask you, wasn't he a pretty highly ranked high school recruit? Like what happened? Why was he not drafted?
1: um i don't actually know where he ranked in the high school recruiting i know that he should have probably gone pro a year earlier than he did and he came back to arizona and then things got super screwed up at arizona last year and um and that hurt his stock but i mean he's definitely a guy who i don't know you know i don't know how many minutes he's going to ever play for like a winning team but he'll be able to score in the nba for the next 10 years
0: yeah i 'm looking at it right now, so he was an all American three years at Arizona, and he just falls off the map and he comes in now he 's like starting and you know uh, in certain points and and giving them starter starting level minutes shooting forty five percent on threes that 's pretty nice fine you know this it's new York Knicks, great. this New York knicks front office just continues to stack w's andrew they they pull trier out of nowhere they don 't find themselves in John wall trade rumors I mean this has been a dream season for the new era of the New York Knicks. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, and and Trier is a cool story because oftentimes when guys go back to school and miss out on that, you know, first round money or whatever, it doesn't end well, you know, you end up playing in Europe or something. But to to have all that happen, land in New York, which is one of the best situations you could possibly be in this year where he's going to get a ton of opportunities. I'm glad it worked out for him. Um, But one more rookie question before we move on. This is from a Wizards Twitter friend of mine who posed this question last night. Ben Becker says, Jaron Jackson Jr. for Jason Tatum. Both guys have all NBA potential. Who says no?
0: What do you think, Ben? Wow. What a thought experiment from Ben Becker. We appreciate that. Um my first thought actually reading this is it's going to be another year until we start the clock on 12-time Tatum, isn't it? I mean, he's not making the all-star team this year, so we yeah. better hope for really good longevity from him because, <laughs> I don't know, 12 is an awful lot and he's not getting there yet. Well, um, he's
1: young. I, I don't know if you've heard, but he's only 20 years old or maybe he's 21 at this point, but he's got time.
0: He's got plenty of time. Nothing but time, Andrew. Um, <laughs> this is a fascinating question. I'm wondering... Are we overcorrecting on Tatum's value? Is it is it a little bit too reactionary here to say, okay, now he would be thrown into a trade for another young guy because 6 months ago, you, nobody would have said, "Let's trade Jason Tatum for any of the top 5 picks," right? Like that yes. wouldn't have been a thing. So, are we being prisoners of the moment by even contemplating this deal?
1: Yeah, we might be. You know, I'm worried less about overcorrecting for Tatum's value than overreacting to what I've seen from Jaron Jackson Jr. in the first oh, man. Like, month
0: here. <laughs> you, you love this guy. Where did it come from? I mean, I you have really gone do. all in. I love it.
1: Well, just offensively, he's pretty skilled. You know, his shooting is a little unconventional, but like he's able to, to get what he wants on offense. And then defensively, I, I think he's just going to be really special. And I feel like we might be five years down the road looking at him as like the the first guy who ever actually lived up to Draymond Green comparisons. And, um, and I think that he's got that kind of potential value. And the reason it's not completely crazy for Boston is they could make this deal and say, all right, we now have a Horford replacement for the long haul, which they're going to need because Horford's getting older and he's already slowing down. So they're going to need somebody. And they could turn around and still trade Jared Jackson. <laughs> I struggle on Jared Jackson Jr.'s name on every I have podcast. A, I have a
0: solution for you, Andrew. You know what you could call him? jaron <laughs> yes see you right. see, see how smooth it is Get, yeah join me
1: sure let's stick with jaron well the celtics could still turn around and trade jaron to the pelicans for anthony davis this summer if that's the route come they want to go
0: all roads lead back to the anthony I davis trade were- that's never going to happen come on
1: maybe it won't maybe it won't i'm saying and if it doesn't happen then they're going to need somebody who can eventually take over for horford and Jaron is the perfect candidate, um, and so you know the reason not to do it is because Tatum would probably have even more value to the Pelicans, and uh, and potentially have more value to like the next ten years in Boston. I am not sure. I I believe in Tatum as a as a All Star, but um, I the first month here has has given me pause in terms of like how great he's actually going to be.
0: Real question for you, when AD signs up Rich Paul, doesn't that make you nervous as a Celtics fan, a clear diehard, you know, green oh, leader like yourself? Absolutely. Are you I mean, kidding it, me? Is Rich Paul really going to let Anthony Davis go play with Kyrie after the way that that played out in Cleveland? Or is he going to make sure he comes to LA or at least go somewhere else on neutral ground? I mean, he's not going to let Anthony Davis go to the enemy, is he?
1: You know, it's a good point. Because also, Rich Paul has been like part of LeBron's family for the last 15 years. And so you have to think every time those guys fly into Boston for a playoff series, they're talking amongst themselves about how much they fucking hate it there and how much they hate like everybody.
0: Hey, Bron, go out and put 45 on him. Okay. (laughs)
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm sure those conversations have actually happened. So the idea that Rich Paul is suddenly going to start like backroom dealing with Danny Ainge and feel great about it—I don't know. You're right; that does seem pretty implausible.
0: I don't see Rich Paul at a Chipotle over you know some barbacoa <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> burritos with Danny, just ironing out the future dynasty of the NBA. I can't see it. Maybe it will it's... happen, Andrew, but I can't see it.
1: Yeah, you're right. Well, and that's why they should trade for Jaron, uh, future superstar, next yeah. Draymond, and next um... best thing, right? Right. I love <laughs> yeah. it. I do, you know, and this is, this is clearly an overreaction, but if you had to, if you had, if you asked me to guess who is the, the hall of famer in this class, I think Jared Jackson Jr. is going to get there.
0: Very, very interesting. I I still think Luke has got a shot. Yeah. Luke could definitely,
1: yeah, he does have a shot. Um, Yeah. This is an
0: interesting class though. I was watching uh, the Suns the other night. And Aiton, I mean, there's definitely flashes where I can understand. We still get emails from people saying like, hey, you guys are clowning on Aiton too much. And like his physicality is absolutely there. His efficiency on offense is there. But some of his defensive mistakes just make me laugh out loud. Like when he just leaves his feet, he gets spun around backwards. Of course, everybody saw the one where he went toppling over. I mean, Darren (laughs) Collison just absolutely murdered him play after play after play after play in the pick and roll the other night and there was just no solution there he gets lost in space on defense as well i mean it's a steep learning curve but i still understand why people haven't given up on him and uh he's gonna be an interesting guy to track too because if the league ever does shift away from its current style you know everybody's predicting okay at some point you know, the cycle back to big men will continue guys like him stand to benefit and i guess we'll see
1: yeah um yeah, it's I, I, I do worry about his defense because literally, like, we finished recording the podcast and then three hours later, there was that viral <laughs> crossover all over the internet. It's like, okay, it's tough. Um, and that but, was only
0: one. I mean, Collison, like, you could do a whole film room breakdown. I'm going to challenge some of these video guys out there, you know, the, the Dane Delgados of the world and uh, You know the basketball no, breakdowns. No, no, let's, let's challenge that.
1: Lobbying them. for a shaming effort of DeAndre Ayton. Okay, <laughs> look, We're not
0: we could, we could spin it the other way and say, look how great Darren Collison is with the ball in his hands. All right, let's spin no. it that way <laughs> and just only pick clips from that Pacers Suns game. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, Dane Delgado, I don't know who you are, but please just chill. Let DeAndre Ayton live his life. Um, moving on, though, Steve says. My beloved Clippers have been great, and their overachieving success is the complete antithesis of the CP3, Blake Griffin era Clips. However, the fact remains that the front office wants to go big game hunting this summer, and we know they're trying to prioritize cap space and future upside. Shouldn't they consider moving Danilo Gallinari while his value is high? Is there a reason that Gallo and Patrick Beverly for Fultz and Wilson Chandler doesn't work for both sides? What do you think, either about that specific offer or moving Gallo in general?
0: I don't think Gallo's trade value is high right now. Um, I think that's just wrong. I really? mean, look, he, he's playing well. He's playing He's playing the best we've seen in years. But I think there's healthy skepticism about how is it going to continue? What's going to happen? When's it going to go wrong? He hasn't been a reliable guy for years and years. I don't think people are falling in love with five great weeks of Gallinari basketball. am I wrong?
1: Um, I mean I kind of am. <laughs> I've really enjoyed it well that's again. why I always
0: make trades with you okay that's why I'm well, constantly trying to line deals up with you.
1: <laughs> I love Gallo um, he's another one who's in that kind of like husky division of NBA players at this point and, and he's been great for the Clippers. The team that I would target if I were that, because I do agree with Steve's broader logic here. Like, If they could somehow capitalize on this start and clear the $22 million uh, that Gallo is owed off their books, that would be a big win for LA. Um, And I, I think that the front office would probably be interested in that. The team I would target is actually... Luka Doncic's Mavericks because I think that they would maybe be interested in trying to like load up for a real playoff run and they have Wesley Matthews's uh, expiring deal to offer and I don't know I, I think it could make sense for both sides it would require the Mavericks being short-sighted and impatient but we've seen them make that mistake like dozens of times over the last decade
0: that's a pretty sick team too. You could potentially put together, you get some nice lineups. If you Wouldn't got it, Luca, it'd be pretty nice, Luca Gallo Barnes, uh, you know, Deandre, that's not a bad team at all. I mean, I, I do feel like you might be rushing things a little bit in terms of how they want to build, but you're right. That's been their whole thing. It's like, let's be good. Um, I like your thinking, but Steve's email started with my beloved Clippers. And I just want to tell Steve, like, Come on man, enjoy this, you know. Step back. Like this team is awesome. They're really fun to watch. They've been on a great ride here to start the season. Don't rush to break them up. I understand there there may be time for these kinds of thoughts come February. Yeah. But is it really going to get a lot better than it is for the Clippers right now unless they land one of the top 3 guys next summer? You know, when we look at their long-term forecast like how often do you get this perfect chemistry mix? This well, perfect thing where everybody's, you know, paddling the same direction and working hard. I mean, I'm not saying it's a dream season. They're going to win 60 games and like blah, blah, blah. I don't view them as contenders at all, and I'm not even sure they're going to make the playoffs, but I wouldn't be rushing to break this up. I would be trying my best to enjoy every game they're playing right now.
1: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, here's the thing. If I were a Clippers fan, I would be drinking all of the Kool-Aid about what is possible for them this summer because they do have a pretty compelling case to offer someone like Kevin Durant or and Kawhi lee jenkins Leonard. and yeah. lee jenkins i mean exactly. we're, we're talking about compelling cases <laughs> I yeah. mean, so i don't know i i think if there are ways that you could kind of put yourself in an even better position you should definitely explore those options um but you're right in that you know and savor this because this weird clippers run is still pretty awesome every single night and every single game they go win um i'm still kind of blown away by the comeback against the blazers in portland but um, yeah.
0: uh, savor their run and also savor our current podcast, Andrew, because if you think we're bad with Giannis and our other favorite players right now in terms of how often and regularly we hype them up, if the Clippers get Kawhi or KD or one of these guys, <laughs> we are going to be hyping Lee Jenkins as the ultimate power broker oh harder than anyone else could have ever imagined. It will be just you, become a Lee fan pod if it yeah. wasn't already.
1: We're going to be hyping him so often that he is going to send send us emails asking us to stop, and we won't do it because Lee is bringing back the Clippers, or I guess not even bringing him back. They've never really been that relevant. But um, next summer, it all starts. So moving on, Chris says, I'm a huge Bucks fan, and last year during the playoffs, we saw Eric Bledsoe go full on Bledsoe. My question now is, do we have to worry about the same thing happening this year, or do you think going full Bledsoe was based on playing for the Suns and then Jason Kidd? Um, I don't know what full Bledsoe really means. I think Bledsoe went full on washed. Um, like the Bledsoe, the idea of Eric Bledsoe is quite good, but he did not. That was not the guy we saw in the playoffs. And I have to say, I don't know what to trust. I think this is a really good question because. After watching that Celtics series, I came away, like, very down on Bledsoe, and it's one of those things where, like, watching him just get cooked by Terry Rozier for six or seven games is, is tough to forget.
0: So you know when astronauts go to space and they have to like come back and like reacclimate, like you know, they have to have the 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 bubbles over their heads, you know, whatever whatever you call it, come back and reacclimate to like Earth's environment so they don't explode or any of these things. Is this science totally. correct at all? <laughs> yeah, what I'm so. trying to say is Phoenix <laughs> is a foreign planet, right? With a whole different galaxy and environment and everything about it. And uh-huh. when you're coming back to Earth from the Phoenix Suns, there's going to be an adjustment process. He was terrible in the playoffs. There's no question about it. He has been really really good uh, to start the season here. It helps that it's a contract year. Uh, I'm yeah. sure that's that's got him focused and playing well. I think he's a pretty nice fit for what they're trying to do up there. I don't know if you saw the Bulls game the other night where, you know, Chris Middleton hits that game-winning three. Give Bledsoe credit for digging yes. deep. It's for the tap-out offensive rebound against multiple other guys. That's a smart extra effort play. You know who's not making those kinds of plays, Andrew? Devin Booker and the rest of the Phoenix Suns because <laughs> it just you get these ingrained losing habits when you're down there, and he's in a much better environment realizing that small little things like that will translate to actual wins rather than 15-point losses, right? So um, I'm not going to predict he's going to have a great playoffs this year by any stretch, right? And I was yeah. surprised by how bad you know Terry Rogier made him look because you know he was decent at times you know after that trade as well but I do think the the perception of Bledsoe right now as an overall player is completely colored by the the week in that playoffs and I think that's a little bit unfair to him you know he's on balance over the last 12 months he's played pretty well
1: yeah I agree with that and it's funny because it's it's totally a subconscious thing with me like consciously I know that you don't you shouldn't judge a guy by the worst like ten day stretch of his career, um, but I do have my guard up to some degree. I like the idea of trading for a Suns player and then putting him in like a hermetically sealed. Uh, corner of the locker room. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like keeping him away from any young players. And Look, the coach scientists out there, him. don't
0: email me. I know I screwed all that up, but you get what I was trying no, to say. No, absolutely. It and makes I want a lot to of double, sense. I want to double down with, uh, you know, angering the real experts because I'm not like necessarily this huge grammar guy or, or you know, the, the real you know, most knowledgeable person there. But have uh-huh. you heard of the word? Uh, I believe it's a contronym. Have you heard no. of that? Uh-uh. Basically, it's when a word also like means one thing but then also the opposite of that thing and I bring this up because of Chris Middleton now he hit that incredible three-pointer game winner I mean looking like an absolute first-time all-star no-brainer for the Milwaukee Bucks right but when he hit it you know I'm sending you the text message and I'm just like mid exclamation point right and as I'm sending that (laughs) I'm getting all of the Twitter and the urban dictionary type definitions of mid in my mind. And, you know, apologies, Elizabeth, (laughs) because I do think there's some drug uh, references to, you know, using the slang word mid, but basically it just means like average, right? Yes. But Chris Middleton or mid exclamation point, how I'm using it when I text you, is the opposite of average, the opposite of mediocre. It's great, it's incredible. So I think mid mid and then mid M I D D exclamation point might be contronyms and i just find that fascinating
1: (laughs) there you go a nice look into your brain i think and this i'm gonna sound like the whitest person on earth right now but i think at some point the price of the mid is going up was like a meme um, (laughs) involving (laughs) marshawn lynch and i'll tell you what the price of the chris middleton is also going up you know he is gonna make he's like he's a a lock to make the all-star game this year.
0: When I started that little riff, I felt like I was going to be out there on the branch all by myself, but you just <laughs> beautifully tugged me back. I love oh, it. Thank you,
1: man. Yeah. Well, I joined, I, I would say more accurately is that I joined you in <laughs> saying regrettable things that shouldn't be shared on the podcast. Um, but the next question Mark says, was Tom Thibodeau ever a good coach he feuded with management and ran his players into the ground, even in Chicago. Are we remembering the good days better than they actually were? What do you think?
0: Um, no. I hear what he's saying, though, because the end of the Chicago tenure was not as good. But I think Thibodeau really had serious impact on how defense was played, right? And there was a yes. couple of years where he was just ahead of the curve and everybody else was like playing catch-up and trying to copy what he was doing. And I don't know if you want to compare them to like Chip Kelly, you know, or like some other people where they're almost like a victim of their own success, right? Everybody copies them and it's like, oh, whoops, you know, or the game moves on. It's just like, oh, well, what made us great for that, you know, three to five year stretch is not sustaining, you know, it's not something where you can be an amazing coach for decades and decades. But I think Mark is right to point out that there's some serious holes in Thibodeau's game, right? Minutes management, yeah. getting along, you know, coaching up to his bosses, uh, you know, uh, and I think the Jimmy thing too. It's like managing your superstar personality. He was a lot better manage, managing MVP Rose than he was managing All NBA Butler uh, in in Minnesota. And so I think you know, there's definitely weaknesses that I think he would have to admit to. But uh, you know, he was a very important influential coach, uh, and I think we shouldn't try to just you know erase that from the history books.
1: Yeah, I agree. I'm glad you're on on that side of history with me because I think Thibodeau you know, you go back to those Bulls teams, they were coached by Vinny Del Negro, who was sort of like the original <laughs> Jason Kidd. And then Tibbs came in and was kind of their Budenholzer and um, and really kind of took everyone to another level. Um, the one thing that I think is fair to wonder about is is how much of that defensive brilliance was a byproduct of having Joe Kim Noah there. And, and like Peak Noah was great. Um, and, and I think... You know, Towns has not been at that level. And, and maybe it's hard to build a defense without a a superstar like Noah or KG in Boston. I
0: mean, I mean Deng was really good, too. Like, they had some players. Like, that was a yeah. nice squad there for its time, especially. Again, like, the, the team looks worse because of how, fa- how far all those guys fell off and because they basically went extinct immediately right like the game just Mm -hmm. changed and their style just did not work at all but there was some really nice chicago bulls teams there for like a three-year piece right
1: and it was perfectly suited to what thibodeau was trying to do so like it all kind of clicked for a minute there um and that we weren't imagining that and you know you go back to the bulls heat series the year rose won mvp that series ended in five but i think that was kind of misleading like uh, all of those games were pretty close um so he was right there but Sadly, you're right in that like the the modern game has pretty clearly passed him by and and rendered some of those concepts obsolete. Um, but even now, I don't think he's like a horrible coach. I think he's he's fine. He just isn't one of the top five anymore.
0: Yeah, I mean they've been playing really well since the trade. So I mean, again, it, it goes back to like he did himself no favors, right? If you just you start your season on a good footing. We would be talking about Minnesota as one of the best teams in the West. And instead they dug themselves this hole and they've done a pretty nice job of, of digging out of it despite, you know, losing Andrew Wiggins along the way. I don't know uh, yeah, if he's... The Wiggins
1: thing is some of his numbers, man, are breathtaking where you're like, how is this even happening? But he, you know, I think he went, he had went over 14 one night or over 12. And then he's not getting the line... He's getting the line less than twice a game, which is kind of amazing. I, don't, I just don't know what, the, what his deal is at this point.
0: Yeah. I mean, you hate to question whether he loves basketball because that's like a character attack. But, but please, Andrew, show us. Like, give us a sign of life here. Like, we're, we're all sitting around here really wondering.
1: Yeah. And you're right on Tibbs. I mean, not only mismanaging the Jimmy Butler stuff, but like his stubborn refusal to play guys fewer minutes. It it makes it hard to believe in anything else he's doing because what like his stance on that point is so clearly like insane and flies in the face of everything we kind of have learned over the last 10 years about how guys respond. And uh, that alone makes it harder to take him seriously at this point.
0: And I think it actually will change what his next job is, right? Like, let's say he does get, you know, fired next summer, moved on, whatever. Like, does another team look at his track record of just inflexibility on that issue and say, nah, we're good. We don't even really want to do it. Like, is he going to get another chance? I guess is what I'm wondering. And I, I never would have thought that two or three years ago. He seemed like the kind of guy who'd be coaching, you know, for 30 years, right? Yeah. Um, I think if I was an owner, I'd have real hesitation about, you know, making those kinds of compromises with my star players, you know, running them out there for 40 minutes every single night, I wouldn't do it.
1: All right. couple more questions here. First from Connor, who says there has been some good nickname discussion lately, and it made me realize something. I've never heard a Nuggets fan refer to Gary Harris as Gary Harris or any nickname of any kind. Literally everyone says or tweets Gary Harris full name my beloved official berating nuggets announcers also go with gary harris and i think the lack of a nickname is fitting because even the nuggets fans sleep on how good harris is he doesn't change his facial expression ever there's something about him where even through the highlights finishing and extremely good play and good defense he's just nondescript But does Gary Harris even deserve a nickname? Does he need one? Who else has had the full name phenomenon attached to them? Um, And it's a good observation from from Connor. Uh, Do you have any thoughts there?
0: I mean, the guys who I was thinking of in this conversation were similar to Gary Harris in like short first name, short last name, right? So like Josh Hart, Mike Scott, Rodney Hood, uh, Rudy Gay. I mean, those are some of the guys that like, come to mind that I will always say both of their names rather mm-hmm. than just one. But to be honest, I don't know why you picked this question. So please, unfurl your reason why.
1: <laughs> well, I here's my reasoning for picking the question, because I thought of the ultimate parallel here. The only other guy who because I it is really true. Like you'd never see anyone call him Harris or Gary. It's his both of his names are too boring to qualify for any sort of one name distinction. And uh, he his game is kind of understated and maybe overvalued by basketball nerds. And the perfect parallel there is our guy, a Rob Mahoney, Ben Goliver favorite, a who is I'm sure ranked twenty to thirty spots too high in the top 100 for the better part of his prime
0: never george
1: hill oh george uh, hill that's... is the only other guy who's just as as boring but also like great and his name like george hill doesn't need a nickname the name george hill fits perfectly with how kind of understated his game has always been
0: no, I'm trying to picture him like hitting a, a game winner in a playoff game and like the announcer being like, Georgie! You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like it just doesn't work. No, I hear you. Um, I mean, he also fits my criteria, which was short first name and, and short last name. I also think it helps if it's sort of a a generic last name where like Harris could apply to like 10 different NBA players, right? Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, exactly. Well, and, and the other thing is, does Gary Harris deserve a nickname? I don't think he needs one. I think this fits perfectly with with how his game kind of fits into the larger nba context where like everybody he there's a charm to sleeping on gary harris because everybody kind of forgets him and then uh he's great. So anyways, um,
0: well, one thing I'd say just to wrap this up, hopefully this will be the last point on this conversation. Uh, <laughs> if you go to his basketball, <laughs> if you go to his basketball reference page, he has no nicknames listed. And a lot of the NBA guys have nicknames listed. And so maybe this will be a good challenge for the open floor globe. I want you guys to go to basketball reference, dig into the different pages, find the funniest nicknames of guys that you've definitely never heard of. I mean, you've heard of the players, but you've never heard of the nickname because some of the nicknames that they have listed there are just completely insane out of left field. And yeah. email those in to openfloormail at com. Openfloormail at gmail.com. And maybe, Andrew, we can use those ridiculous nicknames to brainstorm a better nickname for Gary Harris. What do you think? Well,
1: and also, we do need to work on nicknames. If we're talking about nicknames and the nuggets, we need to find something better than Blue Arrow for Jamal Murray. (laughs) (laughs) That's even worse than his finger licking celebration. Okay. So, Blue Arrow is out. And that's. That's our project for 2019 and, and Denver. I, th- I think hey, Magic Jokic is actually pretty great.
0: Speaking of Jamal Murray, though, did you see him do the little wave celebration after he broke that guy? He had a pump fake. One of the Lakers flew by him. He made the layup, and then he waved at him as he went yeah. down the court. See, I actually like that one. I know you're really down on Murray celebrations in general, <laughs> but that one was so cocky I was prepared for him to get punched during the game. Like That seemed like a reasonable response uh you know to that kind of uh you know showing your opponent up and so
1: yeah i I do like it the the spirit of it i can appreciate do you remember who he was waving at though i forget who it was
0: was it kcp maybe yeah
1: maybe i i remember not liking it for some reason and i thought maybe it was because like it was beneath him to be talking trash to like some Lakers scrub but no I, i i one of the things I love about Jamal Murray is that he is constantly talking trash. Like any time, any team, he's there to talk shit. And so I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, me too. But he also needs a nickname. You're right. Uh, Magic yeah. Jokic is not bad at all. Uh, who else do they even have on their team that we could nickname? I don't know. We don't have to be Not Paul billions. Millsap. <laughs> yeah, this is already gone for way too long. Um, two more questions here.
1: First, Tanner from Utah says, look, I don't want to make too many assumptions here But if someone says the Burj Khalifa sounds like a great rap name, I'm not exactly confident that said person knows the name of the world's tallest building. But since said person also pointed out that Utah is the most underrated tourist location in the United States, I'm willing to let this slide and continue practicing no negativity November. So... Well,
0: look, Tanner, just go ahead and say my name, okay? You don't have to say this person. (laughs) You can just call me out. It's fine. Look, obviously, I know the Burj Khalifa is the biggest building. I'm a Lego architecture aficionado. I've definitely eyed that set, but I haven't been there, Andrew, so I can't buy it. Um, I have a family member who's been to the UAE who says it's amazing. I've heard lots of really good tales. I would like to go at some point, Mm. Um, but mostly I want to go so I can buy that set. (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
1: just going for the lego, you know, touring the world. Um I have never been to Dubai. Uh this the Burj Khalifa is in Dubai, correct? Correct. Yeah. Um so it's on my list. It's funny. My my wife actually grew up in Saudi Arabia and I'm going to Oman late in December. So I will be on the Arabian Peninsula, but I do not think there will be any stops in Dubai. Um although maybe I'll go just you know, 24 hours Say I've been there, get a quick Instagram, and then buy the Burj Khalifa Lego.
0: Oh man, uh, that sounds awesome! Uh, I hope they podcast out there. You're going to be doing your. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you have to line up a replacement for you. you never, you're breaking this news to me on the episode. What, uh, what are we doing there?
1: Well, we may we may take a week off. Maybe I'll podcast from the desert. Who knows? Um, last question. I need your opinion. Uh, this is from Marcos. He says, "I need your opinion." Open floor crew. What's the best basketball-related song? Growing up, I loved I Believe I Can Fly, which was included in the Space Jam soundtrack. But with the whole sex cult thing R. Kelly had going on, it might be better to have another song on top. Is it just too easy to say Curtis Blows Basketball? Do you guys have another favorite? Um... Yeah, well, I'll start by saying, yes, I believe I can fly. Any R. Kelly music doesn't really work anymore because he's too
0: much of a sicko. Um, but do you have any thoughts, Ben? Oh, we're not going to give Lil Bow Wow a shout on the basketball? I, mean, <laughs> no, I was going to mention it. I did,
1: I did remember, like, I guess I was probably 14 years old when that song came out. But Bow Wow did his own little basketball remix.
0: Well, so speaking of your age... I wanted to run this by, you know, were you old enough? Cause we're not that far apart in age, but I do wonder if it's going to be a, an important distinction. Were you old enough to remember the NBA superstars VHS tape from the eighties? Do you remember that?
1: Um, no, I, I had the, the Michael Jordan VHS tapes, but no, like no other players.
0: So this is one that I've bonded with uh, Chris Ballard over. So they made this VHS tape back in the days when like putting together a two minute highlight reel was like probably really, really hard. And they took each of the major stars of the NBA at that point. So we're talking Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, Isaiah Thomas, Charles Barkley, Akeem Olajuwon, Dominique Wilkins. Uh, they, they picked the best guys. And then they took '80s songs and made basically put that as the backdrop, right? And then mm-hmm. they had the highlights like queued up with the crazy sound effects in the songs, right? So it's a, an incredible time warp. And especially for our millennial listeners who probably have no idea what was going on in the eighties, <laughs> go to YouTube and find the NBA superstars. And my favorite one, of course, is the Mike one. And he goes with, uh, you know, the Berlin song, take my breath away. And I'm not going to try to sing on here because I'm a terrible <laughs> singer, but like, that's that song. And it, it it splices in video of Mike at the slam dunk contest with like you know, F-18, like fighter jet footage. It's it's an incredible watch. (laughs) So that one is like way up there for me, but basically... so is this on YouTube? It's on YouTube. You can get each of the individual clips on YouTube if you just search like NBA superstars and then the player's name. Uh, So a couple of the songs though that have stuck out to me that I always associate with basketball, even if they have nothing to do with basketball. So the Larry Bird one's called uh, Small Town by John Cougar Mellencamp. And you can imagine like as a, coastal elitist you know i i wasn't listening to a lot of john cougar mellencamp in small town back in my day but <laughs> sure like i was born in small town you know that song so yeah. it, it like inner it cuts with like burr doing these incredible behind the head passes to like robert parish and and uh, kevin McHale, and then just like randomly hard cuts to someone like buying something at a small little liquor store in like the absolute middle of nowhere and of course he gives a little shout out to french lick <laughs> at the start it's incredible but the barkley one the Barkley one's amazing. So the song is The Warrior by Scandal. And it's like, I am the warrior. You know that one? Yeah. And it's just Barkley just like racing up and down the court, doing his like crazy like full court, uh, you know, bowling ball activities, <laughs> like dunking on people. But then they also include footage of him like taunting opponents, right? So like the this, this song will like really hit a hard beat. And then Barkley will like dunk on somebody and then like throw the basketball at their chest while they're laying on the ground. It's an incredible watch. My only sounds amazing. (laughs) No, you need to. As soon as we're done, you need to go watch this whole thing, okay? But my last thought from the whole NBA superstars thing, Isaiah Thomas is somebody who we don't talk a lot about in general. Uh huh. Of guards who would just kill in the modern NBA, if you take away hand checking and off-ball movement, Isaiah Thomas would have been filthy in the modern NBA. And watching his video, uh, which was. (laughs) the the right stuff by Vanessa Williams Uh, that will make you long for a time machine to bring Isaiah Thomas into the future or the present, I guess we would call it.
1: Wow. Well, um, a couple reactions here. Number one, you and I have been podcasting for three years now, and you're just now bringing these, the superstars, the reservoir of superstars memories out. I'm pretty upset that it's taken this long. Uh, but I'm glad we got there somehow. Don't
0: really know how this start all started with basketball music. Um. Well, these, these are all songs where if I hear them, like, I've heard Small Town, like, in I'll be, like, in Wyoming, right? Just yeah. doing my Ranger <laughs> Rick thing. And you, like, walk into, like, a random, like, uh, I don't know, grocery store or something, like, off the side of the road. They'll be playing that song. And I will immediately think, like, Larry Bird highlights, like, here he is, like, pump faking the pass down by his ankles and going straight up into a you know, a swish jumper, like it just associate all those songs are so ingrained and associated with basketball to me. It doesn't matter how famous they were as actual songs. And I did not listen to very much music in the 80s. So I only know these songs because of this VHS tape. And so that's why they're always stuck in my mind.
1: Well, um, (laughs) I'm glad you shared, you know, I, I think our low point on the podcast was probably both you and I referencing the mid uh tr- like <laughs> trend on twitter um but i would i would also nominate you singing take my breath away as as um, <laughs> both a high point and a low point so there you go i am um my answer to this seriously i think the entire space jam soundtrack will always have a special place in my heart and it's probably only people who are like close to me in age between 30 and 35 years old who like Space Jam was a real event for them. Um, But, uh, you know, Basketball Jones with Chris Rock and Barry White was iconic to me at at 11 years old. And so uh, that's my answer. But uh,
0: this is kind of unrelated. But have you ever heard the classical soundtrack for He Got Game?
1: um no it's like
0: Aaron. it's Aaron copeland so there's oh, two soundtracks yes. To, yes so there's two soundtracks to he got game and when i was like middle school or high school or whatever i thought i was gonna be so cool and buy the he got game soundtrack i <laughs> bought, bought the, the wrong, wrong one. <laughs> one so i was looking for the rap soundtrack but i got the classical soundtrack the classical soundtrack to he got game it's a real tip for all the writers out there if you want good writing music to really get yourself into a nice flow to concentrate and to really just like bring out your best work just listen to the He Got Game writing soundtrack. I'm telling you, it will it will bring uh you know the Ernest Hemingway out of you.
1: Yeah, you know, the Aaron Copeland score still gets me after all these years. And that's another one where I think you kinda had to be there to really appreciate He Got Game the way I do, because I'm sure someone looking back it's like this is a pretty weird movie with all kinds of flaws, um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> problematic storylines. But uh, it was amazing. So I've, I may go purchase the Aaron Copeland soundtrack. But um, I know I am definitely going to go watch Superstars highlights. And uh, other than that, Ben, I will talk to you next week.
0: The sad thing, Andrew, is I spent 40 bucks on a VHS copy of NBA Superstars. And I don't have a VHS tape <laughs> because of <laughs> yeah. course I don't. I haven't had one in 20 years. Uh, but I just had to own it. That's how important of a you know formative childhood experience that was. And I guarantee you, there's NBA fans all over the world who remember that VHS tape and probably watched it as many times as I did. If you have NBA superstars memories, Andrew, where should you send them? Openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com. And also, guys, check us out on Apple Podcasts. Search for Open Floor. That's two words. Find our page. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars and leave us a nice note. Andrew, a couple people sent some in to me uh, over the last couple of days after I was begging for them on Tuesday. I appreciated all of those. Thanks guys for doing that. Uh, it really helps us spread the word. And of course, we're also on the worldfamous Hey Andrew, until next week, when you'll still be in America, not yet, oh man. <laughs> oh, I will man, talk Oman. to
1: you. Yes, sir, I'll talk to you soon. Another great edition of open floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team.